Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us. My name is Chad. I am super excited to be with you today. I want you to take a little trip with me in your mind. Go back to when you were a kid and you learned about pears. Not the fruit, but pears, two things that go together. We're going to do a little word association here where I'm going to give a word and you determine what the pear is. So, for instance, the first one is salt. Salt and what normally goes? Pepper. Salt and pepper. Up and down. Are you ready? Let's do it. Shoes and socks. Spaghetti and meatballs. Coffee and cream. Peaches and cream. That was an easy one, right? Mashed potatoes and gravy. You got to have the gravy. Bread and butter. Bacon and eggs. Pros and cons. Macaroni and cheese. The kids are on that one. Peanut butter and jelly. Shoes and socks. Soap and water. Hammer and nail. Needle and needle and thread. Horse and carriage. That's a tricky one. Ketchup and mustard. Hugs and kisses. Hide and seek. Lock and key. All right, so some of these things were easy, and, and they obviously go together. They're made to partner, to work together. You know, I think of the best example I know is an Oreo, that if you have an Oreo, you just have an Oreo, but when you have an Oreo and milk, milk's favorite cookie combined, you have a masterpiece. You really have something then. That just like food, we are what we eat, that oftentimes is made to go together to complement one another. That's the way you and I are designed. We are made for partnership. We've been talking about being better together, and Pastor Ernie shared a, uh, a couple weeks ago how we can go to Genesis 1, and we see the story of creation. We see how God created everything, and it's just crazy. You know, God made the earth, everything in the earth, everything around the earth, and it is amazing. God looks at it, and he calls it good, but there was one thing that God said wasn't good, and that was for man to be alone. Wives, you know, us men can get in a lot of trouble by ourselves. But, but, but God designed us to, to be in partnership with others, to be connected. Connection, our life depends on it. But we live in a time where it is so easy to be isolated. It's never been so easy to do your own thing. You know, I think about my day, and I wake up to my alarm, and... I get into my shower, and I use my shampoo bottle. There's a whole bunch of other bottles. I don't know what they're for, but I use my bottle. And then I put on my clothes and go to my job, do my work, do my tasks. And then I might go to the gym and do my workout with my playlist, go get my favorite food the way I want it, 
And in the car, of course, we have dual climate control in case someone's with us, that we can have the temperature to my preference. We can have the temperature just the way I want it. And then we go home, we pull into the garage, shut the door, and don't even have to say hi to anyone because we want to get into our Netflix where I see my recommendations. Isn't it mind-blowing? I mean, Netflix did that just for me. But you see, all of that's about me, about what I want, my preferences. It's isolation. And it's never been easier to be isolated. But then we come to church and we hear this, that... Isolation isn't what we're designed for? All right, there, there, there's nothing wrong with having your preferences and liking it. But you have to have connection. Without connection, man, your, your life depends on the connections you have. I mean, I mean you're not going to drop over dead. But your life won't thrive without connection. See, that's the way it was designed. That's the way the family of God, the kingdom of God works. Is it depends on connection. And without that connection, we will never find the life that God intends for us. You know, page on page, we see God's will and design for us and that he wants what is best. God is not a cosmic killjoy. I think some of us have the wrong idea that, that when we think of God, we think of uh, someone up in heaven with lightning bolts ready to zap us if we have too much fun. Oh, that's, that's so far from the truth. You see, sin in Genesis, after creation, God made everything. It was good. It was perfect. You know, man and woman were, were in harmony with God, and they would walk together in the cool of the day, and it was amazing. But then sin entered the picture. And when sin entered the picture, man, everything changed. All of a the sudden, there wasn't harmony. In fact, what we see is... Adam and Eve are hiding from God. That sin changed their relationship with him. And, and it even changed the relationship with each other as, as the blame game begins. And, you know, Adam blames the whole sin that's not doing what God wants. All, blamed it all on Eve. And then she blamed it. And, and everything changed. And I've often wondered, you know, how long Adam heard about that. But that's not important. The, the thing to notice here is that that sin destroys relationships. We've all seen it. And God's not a cosmic killjoy when he, when he, uh, he, he wants us not to sin because we don't have, he doesn't want us to have fun. That's not it at all. It's because God is a perfect father. And when we talk about him, that's the, the imagery that the Bible uses more uh, than any other imagery to describe God as a father. When we think of that, I know for some of us, that's a struggle. That we had earthly dads that we didn't have a great relationship with. Earthly dads that instead of loving us, hurt us. The wounds are still there. Instead of, instead of loving and supporting the family, you know, maybe he wasn't there at all. Your heavenly father is nothing like that. And then the other side is maybe you have a good relationship with your dad. Maybe your earthly father is a good guy and, and you have a great relationship. Well, your heavenly father still isn't like him in that your heavenly father is perfect. All of our dads on earth, uh, as good as they are or bad as they are, don't even come close to our perfect heavenly father. 
And the father wants what is best for his children. He has plans to prosper, plans for, for us to live a life that he's designed, that is meant to work, that is better, that is fulfilling than anything else. And that's what God wants. And, and sin is the opposite of that. There's no way as a loving father, God could, could, could just sit back and say nothing. That, that he's against sin because sin is destructive. No matter what it is, sin is destructive. All of us have seen relationships destroyed by sin, by unfaithfulness, by lying, by gossip. You fill in the blank with the sin. All sin is destructive either to you or to others. Most of all to your relationship with your father. I mean, I'm not a perfect dad, but, but dads, we're wired different. You know, we're, we're wired to protect our family. You know, we're, we've got this macho gene inside of us that, that we may not be big, but man, if someone comes after our family, man, we're ready to go. We're ready to roll. And, and you, my kids, we have a gravel driveway. I have three sons and, and they love to ride their bikes. Now the gravel driveway is not that fun. Where do all kids want to ride? where it's smooth out on the road. And so as a father, do, do I hate my children and say, hey, don't ride in the road, don't play in the road because I don't want you to have fun. I want your life to be miserable. You're not gonna cherish your childhood. No, 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 that's not it at all. I, I, I wanna protect my kids. And I know that as cars come barreling down our street, man, my three-year-old, if he's out riding his bike, it's not gonna squash its fun, it's gonna squash him. And so, so I tell my kids no, not because I want them to be miserable, but because I love them, because I want what's best. God is the same way. In that page after page of scripture, we see how to live, not because God wants us to be miserable, but because God wants us to truly live life to the fullest. And life to the fullness includes being connected. As we talk about being better together, we're going to be in Philippians 2, looking at verse 2. And, and Paul writes to the church at, at Philippi. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. It's very clear that Paul is wanting, or God is wanting his church to be connected and that is that you and me have to agree. We have to be like-minded. That, that too often our lives are, are, are not full of us agreeing, but rather we disagree. And, and right now, it's just the natural progression. I'm sure you can think of one person that you just don't see eye to eye with. One person that you really just, they tend to always up your story. They, they tend to always have something better to say than you or cut you off or not listen at all to you. That person that, man, you just don't seem to, to click or to gel with. When, when, when the world sees you and me, what do they see? You know, conflict is natural. It's, we're not the first ones to experience it in our relationships, in our, in our connectedness. That you go all the way back to the Bible. Paul and Peter had a disagreement. Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement to the point that, that they couldn't even work together anymore. Um, Euodia and Syntyche, uh, two ladies in chapter 4 of Philippians. Uh, uh, can you imagine your name mentioned in the Bible that you're being called out for conflict? Uh, that's what happened to them. You see, God wants us to be connected and to, to agree, to, 
To be of one mind means to be of one purpose, that we're all about the same thing. Now, this agreeing and being connected is such a big deal. It's not just here in Scripture. Rather, if we'd go back to the life of Christ, when we read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and John, we read about right before Jesus went to the cross, he prayed. And in John chapter 17, we see that Jesus prayed for the disciples in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, that's the disciple, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, it was so big that right before Jesus went to the cross, that's what he prayed, that we would be one because there's so much at stake that the world might believe when the world sees you and me, what do they see? I'm afraid too oftentimes that they don't see Christians agreeing, the body of Christ agreeing, but rather disagreeing, fighting, attacking one another personally, backbiting, all of these things that, that, that aren't supposed to characterize the Christian at all. But, but rather, what's supposed to characterize a Christian is found in John 13, verse 35. That's where Jesus says, by, all this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, what Jesus said there is, is here's how you're going to know who my followers are. Here's how you're going to know who's really a Christian. You're going to know it by the way they love others. He didn't say you're going to know it by whether or not they, they're at church every Sunday morning or, or, or whether or not they sing really loud during the worship songs or, or whether or not they amen the preacher at the right time or whether or not they give a lot to the offering or whether or not they always wear a Christian t-shirt or have a bumper sticker on their car or you fill in the blank. Not, none of those things are bad things, but, but none of those things are how you know someone's following Christ. You know someone's a follower of Jesus by the way they love others. And that's what this verse 2, having this same love, when we agree, we have the same love, we have the same purpose that we want the world to know. And that following Christ, love is the natural expression. I, I, I said I had three sons. I remember when my first son, Malachi, was born. It was amazing. I, I, as a parent, you get it that there, there was nothing, I wasn't prepared for it. That I remember, you know, when we, we had Malachi, I was in the room, you know, that's about all I did. But anyway, I was there. And uh, man, it was gross. It was really, uh, it was beautiful, but gross. And, and I remember when Malachi was born, then the doctor gave him to the nurse. Man, this, this overwhelming emotion just took over. And I can't tell you how much pride I had. When I kid you not, I'm not making this up. The very first thing he did, you see this fountain coming out. He peed on the nurse. I said, ah, that's my boy. No, that's why they call them wet nurses. But no, they cleaned him up. And you remember what it was like when that first time you held your child. The nurse didn't say, here you go. Try to love your son. You'll learn to love him in time. 
No, no, as a parent, that love was instant. It, it just happened. Wasn't prepared for it. It happened again and again with each kid that, that I'm blown away. You see, as natural as that is for a parent to love their child, it's even more natural for one who is born again, for one who is born of the Spirit, for the Spirit to co-work out in your life through love. Love is the natural expression of following Christ. And, and so I want to ask, you know, when we look, the greatest commandment is to love God and to love others. How are you doing? When you replay this past week, have you been loving and kind and patient towards your spouse? What about towards your kids? I kid you not, this is where I'm going to be vulnerable. As I was working on this message, as soon as I wrote that last line, have you been patient with your kids and loving towards them this week? My kids came in the room and interrupted this whole sermon. So if the sermon stinks, well, it's their fault. But anyway, the, my point is they came in and they were fighting. And, and I can't tell you, I am not a yeller. I am just not a yeller. But, but I was so frustrated in that moment with the constant bickering. It had been all day. I mean, I was ready to, to yell. And I thought, well played, God. Well played. Have you been loving and patient towards others? Have you been loving and patient towards your kids, to the, the ones you should love the most? How, how have you been this past week? You see, if we want to give yourself a, a spiritual checkup, if you want to know how you're doing in your walk with Christ, then ask yourself this, am I growing in love and patience toward others? That's... Love is the natural expression of the Spirit-led life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And so as we follow Christ, we will love others. If we're going to love Him, we will love others. But so many times I know I fail. And when I think, you know, of how much God has yet to work in me, when I think of all the work He has left to do in me, then I become less critical of the work he's yet to do in others. I like John Ortberg, and I have a quote. It's a little long, but I want to read it. I think it, it nails it here. He says, When I look in on my children as they sleep at night, I think of the kind of father I want to be. I want to create moments of magic. I want to remember laughing until the tears flow. I want to read to them and make the books come alive so they love to read. I want to have slow, sweet talks with them as they're getting ready to close their eyes. I want to sing them awake in the morning. I want to chase fireflies with them, teach them to play tennis, have food fights, and, and, and pray for them in a way that makes them feel cherished. I look in on them as they sleep at night, and I remember how the day really went. I remember how they were trapped in a fight over checkers and I walked out of the room because I didn't want to spend the energy needed to the, teach them about how to resolve conflict. I remember how my daughter spilled cherry punch at dinner and I yelled at her about being careful as if she had revealed some deep character flaw. 
I yelled at her even though I spill things all the time and no one yells at me. I yelled at her to tell the truth simply because I'm big and she's little and I can get away with it. And then I saw that look of hurt and confusion in her eyes and I knew there was a tiny wound on her heart that I had put there. And I wished I could have taken those 60 seconds back. I remember how at night I didn't have slow, sweet talks, but merely rushed the children to bed so I could have more time to myself. I'm disappointed. I know I've been disappointed. Seems almost daily I find areas that I'm not living up to this love. Look at this love in verse 3 that does nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You see, that's when we are going to be better together. When we are going to be connected, we start looking and counting others as more valuable than us, that every person we meet, every person we see is of infinite value to God. And when we think about that, that we should consider them better than ourselves, ourselves all of a sudden, our agendas take a back seat. But if you're like me, Man, I mess this up so many times, you know? I think, I think that the number one place I mess this up is Walmart. Walmart, man. When I, the checkout line. Well, what is it? I'm sick. I'm sick. I, I look at the checkout lines, man, and I want to find the shortest one. And I'm looking at how many items they have and, and which teller or cashier looks like they're going to be the fastest. And, and that's the line I'm going to choose. And then I get frustrated when I choose the wrong line. And you're like me, aren't you? You're sick too, huh? We have, we have a problem. That when was the last time we stopped our agenda, our schedule, and stopped and looked at someone else and saw them as more important? We're supposed to have the attitude of Christ, and that's the attitude of Christ. You, you see in Luke 8, I wish we had time, that there was a man by the name of Jar Jairus who had a 12-year-old daughter that Jesus was supposed to heal. She, the crowd is pressing in, crowding in, and they're all wanting to see Jesus heal Jairus' daughter. And as the crowd is surrounding, man, they're bumping elbows. You can just imagine. All of a sudden, Jesus stops and says, wait, who touched me? Jesus asks, who touched me? And the disciples are like, come on, man. We got to get to Jairus' daughter. You know, of course people touch you. You're in the middle of a crowd. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I felt power come through me. There was a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, had spent everything she had on treatment, on doctors, and could not find a cure. And right then, Jesus saw her. You know, the disciples in the crowd wanted to see him go over here, and Jesus stopped. He didn't see the crowd. He saw an individual. When was the last time we had the attitude of Jesus that we didn't see the big show, but we saw the individuals in the crowd, and that we stopped to see them? See, that's what God wants. For us 
to put others first because nobody does that unless they're what? Filled with the Spirit living for Him. You see, when we do that, we shine. We shine for him. And that's, if we had time to go in Philippians 2, I love verse 15 where it talks about, you know, we're living such a different life that we stand out, that we shine as lights in the world or shine as stars in the universe. I love how the NIV puts that. That when you think about the stars, man, they look so small. But that's so far from the truth. You know, history was made yesterday. If you saw the rocket launch, Falcon and, uh, 9, SpaceX, you know, sending a couple astronauts into space. Crazy to watch how just in a couple minutes, man, Earth gets smaller and smaller. It was crazy when you think about all that's going on. The, uh, Earth seems so big to us, but I, I want you to see this picture in comparison to our planets, you know, Earth is only the fifth largest planet. When we look at the planets in our solar system, we're not the biggest. We might be the best. We're a privileged planet in the design of how it sustains life. But, but Jupiter is much larger than us. And when we look at our solar system, we look at our star, the sun. And it's, a, it's amazing how much bigger the sun is than even, uh, than even Jupiter. That 1,300 Earths would fit in Jupiter, but, but 1.3 million Earths would fit in the size of the sun. It's 109 times bigger. Then we look at the sun, it's just an average star. In this next picture, you see, it's just an average star when we compare it to Arcturus. You know, the sun looks so small. You can't even see Earth at this scale. Arcturus is so much bigger than our sun, which is so much bigger than Earth. Go beyond that. Talk about the next bad boy, Antares, man. This thing is huge. When we look at this star, the, the, the sun is just a pixel on this scale. That Jupiter is invisible at this scale. You see how much larger the stars are. How much bigger. How grand God's creation. And that's what we're told to shine like. You know, I grew up in church where we sang the song back in our His Kids or Junior Church where we sang the song, which are, the kids' songs are cool because they have motions, you know. This little light of mine, I want to let it shine. This little light of mine, I want to let it, all right, hopefully you know what I'm talking about, that, that this little light of mine, I love the song, I love the, love the song, but I can't stand the theology. Where in the world did we get this idea that our light was supposed to be little? Look at the stars. That's what we're supposed to shine like. Think a city on a hill can't be hidden. That, that our eyes can see if we were uh, in a truly dark atmosphere uh, environment and, and you know, we're up on a mountain, we could see a candle from 30 miles away. You can see the bright lights of cities hundreds of miles away. We're supposed to shine. It's not supposed to be little. God wants it to do to be big. He wants us to shine in such a way that the world sees the difference that God makes in our lives, that they glorify him. That's what he's called us to do. See, big doors swing on little hinges. And so often, the way God uses us is by doing small things to accomplish big things for him. 
We live in a messed up world, a time where, man, things are messed up. By sin, we see hatred everywhere, violence. We, we see those that feel marginalized, unheard, oppressed, in bondage. As if justice is beyond them. And I ask, where's the church in this? I mean, our God is a just God. Shouldn't we fight for justice? Shouldn't we fight for those who aren't heard, who have no voice for the marginalized, for the oppressed? Isn't that what Better Together is all about? Being connected for God's glory? So this week, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to really get into this. And first, I want, I want to see, will you agree to read Philippians 2, 2 through 4, every single day this week? And that as you read it, will you go beyond just reading it and commit to living it? And will you ask yourself at the end of the day, how did I do each day in putting others first? Every interaction I had, did I show love? Did I show the difference God makes by looking to others' interests and not just my own? And then lastly, I'll say if you have a relationship with someone that you know isn't right, that needs reconciliation, that needs restoration, that as long as it depends on you, will you do whatever you can to make it right? Will you? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just thank you that you hear our prayers, that you love us, that you want what is best for us and that, God, you have designed us to be in connection. And, and Father, we pray that whatever it is that is tripping us up, that is getting in our way, that is keep us, keeping us from living the life you've called us to live, that, God, you would eliminate it. Give us the strength to take it out, to remove it. Father, help us to love as you've loved us. Would you do this, Father? Would you open our eyes to see you this week? We pray you work. In Jesus' name, amen.